You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Good morning to all those who are watching online. High Ridge family, come on, let's wish them a big good morning. Come on, clap your hands if you would. From wherever you're tuning in from, we welcome you. We think it's going to be awesome. We think God's got a powerful word in store for you. Grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 if you would. I think it's going to be good. Somebody say, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, I want to remind you of a couple things as we turn there. Uh, Number one, on December 26th, that's the Sunday immediately following Christmas, uh, if you show up to church here, you're going to be really lonely because there will be no services here on December 26th. Uh, Please hear it from me. Spend time with your family. Uh, Take this Sunday and actually be the church. Actually be Jesus to your family. Some of y'all's family need it desperately. Actually, all of our families need it desperately. But spend time with your family. Uh, We're gonna give our staff the week off. It's always a cool thing to see what they do with their Sunday when they don't have to come to church. It's kind of neat. Uh, But December 26th, no services. Also, on December 19th, the Sunday before, we are having our Legacy Sunday, the very first time that we will get a chance to show you tons of video about the lives that are being impacted by this church. And because of your generosity, um, I want you to see your money in action. I want you to see where the finances go. I want you to see the lives that have been touched and changed because of your generosity and your giving. Uh, It's making an impact all over the world, and you get a chance to see it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, We'll also give you an opportunity on that day to give. If you'd like to be a part of what we're doing in preparation for next year, uh, there will be an opportunity for you to do that. Um, We don't take up offerings here. I'm not going to be heavy-handed and ask you for money. Um, I don't do that. Um, I believe that you are mature enough, hopefully, to hear from the Lord and be obedient to whatever he says. And so December 19th will be something that we will do uh, to kind of show you where the money's going and then give you a chance to be a part of that. If you'd like to do that um, in that way, that'd be awesome. Uh, God's really, really blessed us, and it's been powerful to see the things that are happening because of your generosity. And I just want to say thank you. It means a lot to me. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to deal with something that is so much fun today. I can't wait to get into it. Today, we're going to deal with church hurt. Deal with church hurt. Woo! Yeah! This is the one thing that I thought, uh, when the Lord was downloading this to me uh, last Monday, um, I thought, you know what, Lord, I've never heard a message preached on church hurt, and yet every single person that I know that has ever been to church at some point has gotten hurt by the church. As a matter of fact, do me a favor, if you have ever been hurt in the church, by the church, by somebody in ministry, by somebody that was, you served with in ministry, by somebody sitting on your robe, by somebody in the church. Let me just see your hand. Come on, all over this place. And why don't we teach messages about this? And also, why would we expect anything different in this church? It's a very extremely common thing that nobody talks about, but all of us have to walk through at some point or another. If you've never been hurt by a church, hey, welcome, you're new here. And guess what? It's going to happen at some point. Hopefully it won't be by me, but it could. It might happen today. I don't know. Day's young. (laughs) But think back, if you would, um, what is your first, not church scar, what's your first scar? Because all of us have those those battle wounds that we can talk about. We have things that we can refer back to. This is where I broke my arm twice, and this is where I broke my leg, and the reason why I talked this way is because I had four concussions, or whatever your story may be. What was your first scar? You see, my first scar is also coinciding with one of my first memories as a, as a little kid. I remember walking across our backyard uh, where we had a swing set, and my older sister, 
did what older sisters like to do, get going super fast, super high, and wait for younger brother to walk right underneath, and she hit me full force with that swing. And then they do what every older sibling does, and they all say the exact same thing. I don't know why, but it's programmed into older siblings. When the younger sibling gets hurt and starts crying to say, shh, don't tell mom. And then they start that bartering process, right? I will give you this if you just keep your mouth shut. Hey, walk right. Act right. Act right. I'll give you my Pokemon cards. I'll give you my baseball cards. I'll give you this. I'll give you my allowance. Whatever it takes, just please, for the love of God, be quiet. Settle down. Shut up. Don't let mom hear. My first scar was there because of my sister. And as I'm thinking about it also, uh, I, was thinking, I was thinking back to my first church hurt. Can you think back there for just a moment? For some of you, that may be a bit of a painful memory, but I think it's important, and I think it serves, uh, serves a purpose. The, the first church hurt that I can remember happened not to me, but to my father. My dad was an associate pastor at a church, and he was uh, leading the worship rehearsal on a Wednesday night and couldn't find the piano player. And she was supposed to be there, so he's looking for her. And in those days, uh, there was a parsonage, which is a fancy name for a church that the uh, house that the pastor lives in that was connected to the church. So you kind of walk back to the stage and walk back to the left and walk into the pastor's house. We don't do that today because I would shoot somebody and this is Texas. <laughs> but he walked back into the, into the pastor's house to look for her and found her engaging in an extramarital affair with the senior pastor. Walked in on them as they were doing that. Now, of course, that shocked my dad. This was his senior pastor to see, a, to someone, to see someone in the pulpit that he respected and loved and, and honored to see him doing something so immoral uh, with someone else's wife. That was a big deal. And so my dad did. I felt like what, what was... Well, was the honorable thing. Uh, he went to the church elders and, and told them, hey, this is what I saw happen. And they called my dad a liar and believed the pastor over my dad. We were shunned. We were put out of the church. We were called workers of iniquity. You're, you're lying. You're trying to tear this church apart because you, you want to be the pastor of this church. And now you've, you've spread this horrible amount of gossip against our, our great pastor. And we were done. And I watched over the next few months as that church began to implode and people began to get hurt. And it was the first scar that I can remember going back that didn't even happen directly to me, but affected my life very deeply, left deep wounds. As a matter of fact, I was tracing back my addiction issues, my drug issues back to that moment. Because my family, would no longer did our life revolve around church, no longer were we in church school and youth groups and hanging out with our friends. We were put out for doing the right thing. I watched as my friends that I'd grown up with in church and we'd gone to youth group and youth camps and, and church school together as they one by one began to make horrible life decisions. Many of them today, and I'm not kidding, are in mental institutions, have committed suicide or full-blown addicts. They never recovered. They're still having major issues today and it all can get traced back to that one moment that church hurt that left a deep scar that many people that I grew up with are still dealing with to this very day. I wonder what's your church hurt? At some point, someone has hurt you. But I think it would be important to not just look at the hurts that have been done to you, but to also be honest and say, there have been some moments where I was the one that hurt somebody else. As I was being kind of confronted with that, that, that moment of honesty myself, I began to think about how my actions have hurt people in the church, how people can say, I have some deep church wounds because of Pastor Tim. And there are some that I have to own it and say, that was me. That was all me. As a matter of fact, uh, 
about 15 years ago or so, uh, yeah, 15, good gosh, 15 years ago, that sounds weird to think, surely I was a teenager, but I wasn't. <laughs> I was walking through a divorce in ministry, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal in churches um, because, you know, half of the world can get divorced, uh, but it can't be a pastor. And if there is a pastor, I need to know all the details so I can judge of whether or not it's right. And what the church didn't know is my wife had become a full-blown meth addict and we had been dealing with detox and rehab and detox and rehab and detox and rehab over and over and over again for months after months after months on end. After multiple extramarital affairs on her end, uh, my senior pastor finally came to me and said, look, Tim, I've never in my life counseled someone to divorce their wife, but you're gonna have to let her go. It's time that she is responsible for her own actions and doesn't have you to fall back on. You have to let her go. That was difficult for me to hear because I wanted everything within me believe that she could become right and that she could make good choices and we were just one good God moment away from watching her life change. And it was hard for me to believe that that could happen without me. But that's exactly what God did. And it took a divorce for God to arrest her heart and to change her life. That was hard for me to walk through. But what was harder is to watch the fallout in the church from people that didn't know the whole story and assume that I just put my wife away because I didn't like her anymore. And I'd made the choice, along with my pastor, to not air her dirty laundry. I said, you know what? At some point, this is gonna be her testimony. I want her to tell it the way that she wants to tell it. But it's not my responsibility to air out her dirty laundry to the entire church just so I can look better and she can look like the bad guy. I don't wanna do that to somebody. But because of that, we had multiple people left that church extremely angry at me. How dare you call yourself a pastor and walk through divorce and just put your, way, put your wife away like that? And I'm just like, you don't know, man. You don't know what I've had to put up with and deal with. This is not some spur of the moment decision. This is years of horrible, toxic behavior that left me with no choice. I had no choice. I didn't know until actually about three years ago that the senior pastor that I was working with at that time, when we were talking about that moment, um, I, I mentioned to him that I tried to resign and I tried to get off staff and he said, no, you haven't done anything wrong. You don't quit. We'll deal with the fallout. People are gonna get mad no matter what you do. They don't understand, they don't know, but I love you. I think you're called to ministry. You need to stick with this. And I'm like, gosh, pastor, this is gonna hurt a lot of people. He said, I get it. I understand. But you gotta do the right thing and trust the Lord with them. I didn't know until later that our biggest givers, two couples that were the biggest givers that we'd ever had in our church, both left and came to the pastor and said, we're so angry that you keep a divorced pastor on your staff. We want all of our tithe money back. Every dollar we've ever given to this church, you write us a check right now. Now, at a church of about, about 300 people, it was easy for him to say, dude, we've got nothing. I'll give you what we got. But we, kept, we paid the light bill this month, and that was it. But... I couldn't believe what he had to walk through because of me. And he had to deal with hurt. The people had to deal with hurt all because of my actions and my marriage. I wonder, do you realize how much your actions have affected other people? How much people can say, I've been hurt by the church because of what you did? I think if we're gonna take an honest look at church hurt, we can't remove ourselves from the situation. We have to recognize that sometimes I'm the one that hurts somebody else. The good news is the Bible has a lot to say about this very thing and it never exempts people from the simple fact that they've hurt others. 
It never gives us the perfect model of anybody except for Jesus who did it so well we named the whole thing after him, Christianity. <laughs> Everyone else had issues. The Apostle Paul, who writes a third of the New Testament by himself, talks candidly about the Christians that wounded him deeply. He mentions them at the name of most of, at the end of his letters. He mentions those that have been a huge help to him and those that he's like, I'm turning this person over to the devil. <laughs> he talks about his problems with Alexander. He said, he did me much harm. He talks about his issues uh, with Demas. He even talks about his issues with Peter, the guy that walked on water. Yeah, that Peter. Paul calls him a racist. He says he treats the Gentiles much differently than when he's around Jews. Paul says, I withstood him to his face in front of the church. I'll tell you what, that would not be a Sunday morning that anyone would ever forget. When you see Paul and Peter going at it in front of the church, Paul says, that hurt me. And he was wrong. And in every letter that Paul writes to the churches as he's fathering these churches, he mentions things that have caused harm to other people. And he deals with this over and over and over again. And what in the world would make us think that we don't deal with that in the church today? I think we're naive enough to believe that our enemies are all out there and not in here. And I think one of the reasons why it hurts so much to get, to get uh, wounded by the church is because we never expect God's people to behave the same as those who are not. So as Paul lists out all the different things in the letters that the churches are having to deal with, he, he makes one exception, and that's the church at Ephesus in Ephesians. It's the only book that Paul writes that doesn't deal with significant church malfunction and, and unhealth. And I think he does that for several reasons, but because it, number one, he, they're a young church, so he's letting them know it's gonna happen. Or they've already dealt with it, and he's like, hey, this is how to heal from it. So no matter which way you approach that today, you're either healing from church hurt or you're about to be hurt by somebody in the church, this is good for us to watch and lean into. In Ephesians chapter four, he helps to give a preemptive strike on what's coming. And let me just say, I recognize that many of us in this place today, many of us that are watching online, we've already been honest enough to say, I've been hurt by the church, I get it. So I'm not trying to, deal, to, to take your hurt and make light of that. That's not my heart, my hope is to help you heal from it and to not carry it around for the rest of your life. It's gonna happen, it's gonna happen here. Why? Because we're imperfect people. Somebody's gonna say something to you that's gonna get misunderstood. They're gonna either do it on accident or on purpose. Somebody's gonna do something that you assign motive to and it's gonna become hurt. So what do I do with that? How do I not let that destroy my relationship with God's church and his people? How do I do that? Paul gives us some keys in Ephesians chapter four. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And he says this, there is one body, one spirit, just as you who were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. What happens when our enemies aren't there 
outside, but they're, but they're in, in here. What, what do we do with that hurt? I wanna give you three things. If you're a note taker, you might wanna take note of this. Things that I think will help you either when you have church hurt or when you've just come out of it and you're hoping to heal from it. Number one, write this down if you would, you have to remember why you started this. Remember why you started. It's easy for us to get caught up in the who's to blame and what happened, all the details that we wanna know, all the juicy gossip, and be able to explain the issue of how we're right and they're wrong. But Paul reminds us in a few, in a few short words that he uses over and over and over in his letters, he describes himself as a prisoner for the Lord. It doesn't just mean that he is locked in chains, because he is. It means God has my heart. And I started this thing because he knocked me off a horse and wrecked my life and everything else that I deal with, with God's people, that's secondary. It started with my relationship with him. It's Jesus. And he comes back time and time and time again to just a simple walk of faith, a love affair between himself and the Father. You'll be surprised what you can walk through if your focus is on Jesus. You'd be surprised what you can handle from people when your focus is on how much you love the Lord. One of the things that, that, I, that, that drew me the most uh, to my wife as we began to date, and I was coming out of a hardcore divorce and getting back into the single scene, which is really strange when you're in your 30s, because uh, the people that are left in their 30s, no offense, are strange. There's a reason why nobody picked them. <laughs> it happened. And I, I had that conversation with my wife. I'm like, why are you not married? And she's like, I don't know. Like, who in the world would pass you up? But one of the things that was so important to me that I was looking for in a spouse was that they would be more in love with Jesus than with anything else. Because I knew I couldn't marry a person that didn't love Jesus or that loved me more than they loved him. I recognize in those moments that I've got hurt that I'm bringing into relationship and I need someone that has a love with Jesus that is so real and vibrant and honest and true and transparent that when I do imperfect things and I, when I bring hurt into our relationship, she can talk to Jesus about it and Jesus will deal with me. That changes everything when you're walking through a, a, a tough relationship or trying to uh, build a marriage from a rocky foundation. Like if I can love Jesus and if I have a good relationship with him, and I can talk to him and he begins to change the human heart. And it's not up to me to fix that person. Jesus can fix them. Does it make sense? And Paul gets us back to the basics when he says, remember why you started this thing. Remember what it's all about. Remember your love affair with Jesus. Remember that's where your strength comes from. Remember why you started. And, and I started this thing not because I needed a, a, a pulpit to preach from. I didn't start this thing because I needed some pastor's approval. I didn't start this thing because I wanted to go into the mission field. I started this thing because I love Jesus and he loved me. His word says, we love because he first loved us. And there's a love that happened in my heart where he wrecked me for anything else. And when I go back to that place where I remember why I started this thing, my love for him becomes so evident in my life, you become unoffendable. Nothing else hurts because your love is more great than people's hurts. Remember why you started. And I, I love the scripture in Romans 8, 28. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It goes on to say, and who are called according to his purpose. I wonder where's your love for the Lord today? Because it's easy for us in the place of deep wounds and deep hurts from God's church to forget about our love for him. 
And then we start doing this, which is very, very common. We assign motives and hurts, not to the people, but to the Lord. I'll say it this way. We have to separate. We must separate the hurt from God's character. That means God didn't cause this to, me, cause this, cause this to happen to me, but God can use it for my good. And then it's not just a wound, it's an opportunity. It changes pain into purpose. God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I may be hurt, but God's still good and I'm still 100% in this. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters how I respond to his love. Not to your imperfections or to your attitude, to your motives, to your words. It takes the air out of the balloon. I, I say it this way. We can't let the imperfections of people destroy our relationship with a perfect God. And this is what we deal with as a, as a church a lot. I recognize that many of us are, are in this church uh, because of the hurt that another church, another church gave you. And some have left this church because of the hurt that happened here and taken it to another church. It happens. It's long view. It's extremely common. And we knew this to be a fact when we're looking at the statistics of, of our church and our church growth. I'm a big numbers guy because I believe every number is a person and people matter. And so we count. We try to find, figure out people's stories and what do the numbers really tell us. I think they can tell you a lot. And what we noticed about this year was that our, our church doesn't just uh, grow uh, the, the same way that we've grown every other year. And so when COVID happened and churches began to shut down, most churches, when they reopened, opened between 30 and 40% of the people came back. So 60 to 70% of Christians and those that came to church uh, regularly did not come back to church for one reason or another. But yet, we assume the same would happen to our church. We plan on having one service to come back and open up about 30 to 40%. We opened up at 110%. And for the first time ever in the history of our church, the numbers of people responding to the gospel went down. So that tells you something, that your church has exploded in growth, but not in new believers. That's screaming that your church is now growing with people that are leaving their last church for one reason or another and sitting here. They may be healthy, maybe they're led by the spirit, or maybe they're in a place where they're leaving because of a wound. But you would be foolish to not deal with that and you would make them, uh, you'd have to be really naive to believe that they don't bring in those wounds and expect to just um, to not hurt anybody else. Because we'll do it. We'll take our untreated wounds, we'll project them onto other people, we'll bring them right into the next church, and we'll become the problem that we were running from. You still with me? Is this okay? Paul says, remember why you started. It's about your relationship with Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, if you're, if you're here and you've been hurt by a church, can we start with just remembering why you started this thing? Because I hope that you're not coming here um, thinking that I'm a perfect pastor because those that have been here for at least five years will tell you, this is as good as it gets, I'm sorry. <laughs> and we'll also tell you that we're a church of imperfect people. It's always been that way. But we know who started this thing. It wasn't us. We started this because we love the Lord. We want to be called according to his purpose and accomplish his goals in our lifetime. That's our hope. Here's the second thing that Paul tells us. Not just remember why you started, but remember what's important. 
Remember what's important. We have a statement around here, measure what matters. There's lots of things that we think uh, matter until they don't. But look at the things that really matter. What's important here? And Paul mentions these two things over and over and over. He mentions maturity and unity through the bond of peace. Unity. He says this. He says, you need to be eager to maintain the unity through the bond of peace. Eager to maintain unity. I don't know about you, but that's not something I would use to describe my life or my personality, eager to maintain unity. And I think if we could be honest, you're probably not that way either. I'm eager to maintain um, success, eager to maintain um, a good general outcome or a nice environment or encouragement. But he says unity. And unity can only happen when you get people with different ideas coming to a common ground. He says, I need you to be eager for that. Well, I want them to come to my common ground. That's what I want. Just, just agree with me that I'm always right. And we'll have great relationship. But you know, when the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, the only way that iron gets sharper is through friction. Paul says, I want you eager to maintain unity with friction. It's going to happen. But he says, do it through the bond of peace. So if I'm not about unity and peace, then I will bring that same hurt into my next church, into my next relationship. And I, I, I wanna leave it right there. I wanna leave it where it was. I want the Lord to deal with it at that moment and say, Lord, use this for my good and help this to end right here. You know, wounds left untreated, they, they don't get better with time. <laughs> and we'll call ourselves like, well, I'm older and wiser now. What we really mean we're just scarred and we're hurt. We become bitter at some point. And there's nothing worse than a bitter Christian because we give to the world a horrible projection of Christ. Paul says, refocus on what's important. So it's not important who's to blame. It's not important was I right or was I wrong. It's not important why it happened. What's most important in these moments is my heart for Jesus and his church, and to keep it peaceful. How do I keep the peace? Romans 12 tells us this. If it's possible, and I'll admit sometimes it's not, if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes it's not possible, but he says, as far as it depends on you. You know, when we have couples that will... Um, be in a, a rocky relationship and they may be coming to, to our office and asking for marital counseling for help and sometimes we will send those to professional counselors. Sometimes we can deal with it if it's simple issues but one of the common threads uh, that happens is, is when one of the spouse comes, they only wanna talk about the other person. All of our issues in our marriage are because he won't do this and his mother does this and his kids do this. Like, well, they're your kids too. Not today, they're not. But we never talk about the person that's not there. We talk about the person that showed up and wants to do the work. Why? Because we believe the scripture is true. As far as it depends upon you, the one that's here, the one that's hearing this, if it's gonna be up to me, if it depends upon me, and if it's possible, I'm gonna try to live at peace and trust that in that moment where I choose peace, the Lord is gonna begin to war and fight my battles for me. I believe with all my heart that the moment that you pick up your earthly weapons, the Lord lays his down. And no heart begins to change when you use your earthly weapons. They just become more bitter. It just gets worse. 
because you're fighting your battles for yourself your way. It may feel really good when you're done, but you've left a person more wounded than when you started. Refocus on what's important. He says, eager to maintain unity through the bond of peace. Here's the third point, and I'll finish up with this. Paul reminds us over and over in every one of his letters, don't stop growing. Don't stop growing. Now, this has been the enemy's plan from the very beginning. He's done this to every single church that has ever existed. He's done this to every group of Christians that came together. He uses the same tactic because it works. We say it with with three words, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. If I can get you to get angry at the person next to you, I can divide you and I win. He knows that there is power in unity. The Bible tells us in Psalm 133 that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. So when we're eager to maintain unity, God blesses it. He blesses it. He blesses it because we're working at it to try to stay together, to try to maintain peace in the fact that we still have immaturity, imperfections. We still have bad days. We still use words that we didn't mean. We still have emotions. He said, you're still eager to maintain unity. The enemy knows that and knows that if I can divide you, then you're no longer a threat to me. This is why it's so critical as believers that we don't forsake assembling together, that we don't forsake stuff like small groups. You're gonna need the friction that happens in small groups. But pastor, what happens if I get into a group and somebody says something that really offends me? You, you, you come back. Because about 10 minutes before you said that, they came in and said, what happens when she says something that offends me? Like, you're gonna say something that offends somebody else. But if we're eager to maintain unity through the bond of peace, God begins to bless. There's friction there. There's a rub there. You start getting honest and transparent. You grow together and you start to mature. You will never, you'll never have the maturity that you want only feeding from God's word on Sunday morning. You need to eat more than that. You become spiritually anorexic. We wanna mature. We wanna grow. Things like small groups are really good for you. And we don't have small groups because we're looking to boast about how many numbers of small groups we have. I could care less. The point is, are you growing together with other believers? You need to be in a small group. It's good for you. It helps you to grow. We grow together. And, and Paul gives those, those same keys over and over, and he talks about unity. He said there's one spirit, one faith, one father, one God. There's one church, unity. And what's the point of all that? He says, to help you mature. He says this in verse 13. He says, until we all attain the unity of the faith, and what will we look like, Paul? He said, you're gonna look like mature. Mature believers. You've grown up. Now, here's the, um, here's the issue that we have, I think, that, that makes church hurts feel so bad, is that we don't expect immaturity in God's church. <laughs> and, uh, and in some churches, you may find that they're extremely mature. Let, let, me, let, me, let me just uh, mess with you a little bit. I believe that immature believers should be part of every church that's reaching the lost. It's actually a sign of health, not of unhealth. Think about that. To expect a church to be full of mature believers is really foolish, and it's actually a sign of unhealth when you're not reaching the lost. We say here that a church should be like a hospital. You're watching the sick get better and you're watching babies be born. If you don't see the sick recovering, if you don't see babies being born, it becomes a morgue really, really quickly. We're just waiting around to die or we're already dead. So immaturity 
should be a part of every healthy church. Now, why is that important? Because when immature babies hurt your feelings, it doesn't hurt the same. Because you're like, oh, you're a baby. And babies say dumb things because they don't have a filter. Like, oh, you're fat. You're like, oh, where's your mother? <laughs> but when a baby says it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I am a little fat, you know? Hey, it's Thanksgiving. You're supposed to roll your scale back 10 pounds. That's a thing. That's the reason why I'm wearing oversized hoodies today. Hey, I look like the Bill Belichick of pastors today. I can, I can do that. It's Thanksgiving. He's the God of abundance. No, when you can look at it and say, wait, that's immaturity because you're spiritually immature. It doesn't hurt the same. And if it's a mature believer that says something that hurts your feelings that you don't like, because they're a mature believer, I can listen to it and say, they could be right. But maturity is a great filter to put upon church hurts and say, was this person mature or immature? Because if they're immature, it's like, oh, they're a baby and they're learning. They don't know any better. If they're mature, like they could have been right. But either way, I don't hurt the same. And I've eliminated at least half of my church hurts with just maturity. Immature believers should be a part of every church. Now, immaturity should not be in the places of highest authority, but it creeps in disguised as charisma all the time. We see this, and we will promote it. We'll put these people on a platform. We'll give them a microphone, and time will tell. Pressure will tell. Spiritual attacks will, will, will tell you they're immature. In some cases, they're disqualified from ministry because of it. But to think that pastors can't fail or pastors can't be immature is really foolish. It's really foolish because we're people. We're imperfect people with maturity issues, under spiritual warfare, under pressure. We make mistakes. The good news is, if you have a relationship with God, there's grace. There's grace. I think that's important for us to remember. There's grace just as much for them as there was for you. Paul tells us, don't stop growing. The end result of unity is maturity. What happens when we become mature believers? How do we know that? Look at this in verse 14. He says, then... We will no longer be children, no longer immature. How do we know? He says, if you're children, you're gonna be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Immature believers carried along by those constantly because you get immaturity in the platform and they'll take the church outside of the bounds of what is biblically accurate, pushing it into their own agenda. He says, mature believers don't get carried around by that. They know the difference. They're not tossed to and fro because they're mature. So there's a big difference, please hear me, between being tossed to and fro by offense, by bitterness, by bad people from the platform and being led by the Spirit. And if you're not a mature believer, you don't know the difference because you go from church to church to church and call it led by the Spirit. No, 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 you're led by your offenses. And you bring your offenses everywhere that you go. Being led by the Spirit means that was seasonal. God's moving me to a different place, and it's right. It's blessed. It's done openly. It's done biblically. 
And I know for a fact that God has led me here because I'm here to do whatever God has called me to do for this next season. That's a big difference. The goal is spiritual maturity. Are you still with me today? Is this okay? So as we're, as we're looking at verse 14, I think it's important that we see that the, the Bible does make room for us to, to be in a place where we can get healed for a season. It does talk about what happens when we're wounded. It doesn't expect us to, to keep fighting in the middle of, of wounds. There is time to be healed. And I wanna encourage you, if you're here because you've been hurt by a church and you're looking to be just anonymous for a little bit, be anonymous, it's okay. If you're kicking the tires around here of whether or not this is your home church, it's totally okay. We're not gonna ask much of you. If you need a place to rest and to heal, rest and heal. But don't stay there. This is what gets a lot of believers into stagnation. They get healed and they say, can't win, don't try. I tried that one time and it's too painful, won't do it. Let me tell you this, the enemy wins not when we pull back to heal, but when we stay back and stop engaging. So when your relationship with the Lord, ask him, Lord, how long do you want me to heal for? How would I know if I'm mature enough, if I'm healed enough to get back into ministry, to get back into serving, to get back into a place where I'm, where I'm growing? How would I know that? And your relationship with the Lord will begin to unfold as God tells you, it's time. He gives you opportunities. It's time, it's time. You still with me? Don't let the enemy win. I'll say it this way. Don't leave your calling because someone else is bad at theirs. Please. And Paul encourages us over and over and over. Maturity says, hey, people can do what people do. But I'm going back to my first love and what Jesus is asking of me in this season. Sometimes it's to rest and to heal. Sometimes it's to keep going in spite of my wounds. But let him make that call. As we finish up today, I wanna remind you, when Jesus was asked by his disciples um, to teach them how to pray, he gave them a fantastic line. I don't think we, that we understand the weight of it. And one of the things that Jesus says is the perfect way to pray, the outline of our prayers. He says this, he says, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lord, as I forgive somebody that hurt me, would you forgive me for the times that I've hurt you or hurt somebody else? Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. Can we, in the spirit of honesty today, readily admit that we've been hurt or that we've hurt somebody else? And I think if we can just start there, God can do a powerful work to make sure that you don't leave this place the same way that you came in. I don't understand why churches don't teach us how to deal with this, but I've never heard anybody teach this. But all of us are on the same page. We're all feeling the same thing. We've all either walked in with hurt, we've dealt with hurt, or we're about to walk into it. What do you want me to do, Lord? Show me. As we finish up today, I wanna take a moment and just uh, on behalf of, of every pastor or every staff person at a church that has ever hurt you, do what maybe you, 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 you might never get this from them, but let me just say on, on their behalf, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No excuses, I'm sorry. 
And that may be the only apology that you'll ever get. I want to ask you, don't let their imperfections destroy your relationship with a perfect God. And now let me ask you to go a step further. Can you take a moment and be honest before the Lord about the things that you have done to hurt his people? I've done it. Mine is public. Mine's out there. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done. We are imperfect people. We've all walked through seasons of immaturity and high emotions, deep stress. As we've sought forgiveness, can we also extend it? Starting with ourselves. As we finish up today, I want to give you a moment to respond to the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And If you're watching at home, would you take a moment and be transparent and honest before the Lord? about things like unforgiveness, deep wounds that you've had, and the ways that you've wounded others. I think that would be the heart, the hope of the Lord for you today. That you'd be honest and deal with this right now. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. Would you just simply pray, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How have my wounds affected others? And how have the wounds of others affected me? Lord, like David, I want to pray, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Because as far as it depends upon me, I'm going to try to live at peace. I'm going to try to bring the peace into the relationship, bring peace into the church, bring peace into my job, be peace in my family. In order to do that, Lord, I need to be at peace with you. So today, Lord, we ask for forgiveness of all of the things that we've said and done, the attitudes that we've had, the motives, the agendas, the hurts, the wounds that we've caused. We ask for forgiveness, Lord. Would you forgive us? Would you forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us? Now, my friend, if you're, if you're dealing with a hurt right now, and as we're dealing with this, somebody's face is coming to your mind. That's who the Holy Spirit is placing upon your heart to forgive. And that may be a really hard ask, but he wouldn't ask you if you couldn't do it. He is gonna enable you by his power to let that go today. That may be my face. It may be a mom. It may be a dad. Maybe an ex. It may be a pastor. Maybe a leader. But if the Lord is bringing their face to your mind, it's time. It's time. Will you respond to the Holy Spirit? Would you be obedient? Would you trust Him enough to let it go? Say, I forgive you. Because God has been so gracious to me, because he's forgiven me of so much, I choose forgiveness today. 
Father, I thank you for every single person that's responding to your spirit. Thank you for every person that is responding to your word. Lord, we believe that your word is a lamp unto our feet, is a light to our path, that your word leads us to become mature believers. And today, Lord, it's hard, it's difficult, it's painful, but it's right. We allow your word to take root in our hearts, to show us the way, and to bring us into freedom. Lord, I pray for every single person walking through deep church hurts. I pray that you would help them. You would heal them. They would help them to overcome and to continue to walk into their purpose, healthy and whole, in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we're finishing up today, I just wanna make one appeal to anyone in this place who has their doubts about what happens at the end of their life. If you're not sure if you're going to heaven, if you're not sure if you've ever asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if, if you're not sure if you're gonna be in heaven with that perfect God because you've got your doubts, then I wanna help you like somebody helped me one time. I wanna lead you in a simple prayer and I'll pause at the end of each sentence to give you a chance to repeat it with me. But I believe that this prayer is your first step towards a relationship with God. And I wanna encourage you to take it. Let me help you. Pray this prayer with me right where you are. Pray this. Just say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you came and died, but rose from the grave so I could have life and forgiveness for all of my sins. I invite you to come into my heart, be my Lord, my boss. I give myself to you right now. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, my friend, if you just prayed that prayer with me, right where you are, we just look up at me. So that was me, and just raise your hand. That was me, Pastor. That was me. Good, good. I see you. Good for you. If you're watching online, would you just type that in the chat? That was me. I prayed. You see, we'd love to help you understand what just happened in your heart and what to do next. And so that's if that's you, then on the screen behind me is a phone number. I'm gonna invite you to text me. The number is 844-HRC-TEXT. If you'll text the words, I prayed, we're gonna send you some things that will help you and encourage you. It's our free gift to you. It costs you nothing. We just wanna help you. Good for you. I'm very proud of you and the decision that you just made. Good for you. Well, Highridge family, go ahead and look up at me if you would, then stand to your feet. We have four people responding to the gospel in both services today. We think that's a pretty big deal. Come on. Love it. I'm now gonna invite our elders and their wives forward. As this service ends today, these guys are gonna stay right here to pray with you about any needs that you may have. If you're dealing with some hurts, if this has brought up something in your heart and you're like, you know what, I wanna pray about that, let us pray for you. We'd be more than happy to do that. It's been a, a huge privilege bringing God's word to you and I pray that you'd respond to it. Also, I wanna remind you of a couple of things. December 26th, no service. December 19th, it's gonna be our Legacy Sunday. And what we're hoping to do is uh, kind of show you some accountability with our finances and what your generosity has done. Um, I, I will tell you this, one of the coolest things that we've seen is that um, a little over a year ago, uh, we were in uh, the building across the street, which is now our children's building, and God had begun to bless us. We're growing really, really quickly, and it was obvious that we couldn't stay there, but we didn't have any money to buy a building. Um, so we sought the Lord, sought some, uh, sought some help, and it began to be really clear that God wanted us to turn this gymnasium, which is what this building was, a basketball court, into our new church. And so uh, we took a huge step of faith to do that, and we ended up taking a loan 
And the total cost for this entire project was about $2.2 million, which, hey, that's Longview money. That's real money. Maybe not where you come from, but for me, like, that was a big, huge step. Uh, we are now at a place where what we owe left on our, on, what is left on our mortgage is $1.3 million. One year. One year. That's a big deal. And so when they say things at the bank like, that's a 20-year note, I'm like, you don't know High Ridge Longview. The Bible tells us that we are to run from debt, and we are running as fast as possible to get out of that. Uh, but we love what God has done already here. It's been such a, a wonderful thing. On December uh, the 19th, if you'd like to be a part of us helping to pay that off, um, then just pray about it. I'm not going to ask you to give like that. I'm not going to uh, put some heavy message on you and tell you you have to do that. That's not my heart. We don't do that here. But I believe that you're mature enough to pray about it and ask the Lord, do you want me to be a part of that? And if God says yes, then be obedient to him. Trust him. But I can't help but imagine, what could we do if we didn't have a mortgage every month? What could we do? I know Pastor Mark's amen in the most. He runs our finances. He's like, oh, dear God, yes. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being a generous church. We've come a long way. And I think the, the days ahead are still, our, our best days are still yet to come. Let me pray for you and bless you as you go. Father, I thank you for my friends gathering here today to hear your word. I pray that you would bless them with an incredible week following after you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. God bless you as you go. Have a fantastic week. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you wanna be a part of our online community, Connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit HighRidgeLV.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.